Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm thankful that no matter where I go, God's there with me. Amen, amen. I feel such a, such a peace in this atmosphere right now. I feel like anything can happen. Anything can happen. If you would turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I want to begin to say how much I appreciate Pastor Boyd, you and your family. Thank you so much for always allowing me and my family to be here. So glad that my wife was able to be with me on this trip. They were not able to travel with me last time because of school, but due to homeschooling now, she's able to hit the road with me. So I'm excited about that. Excited little Parker man's there with me. And he was excited that you guys have pumped into him Sunday school every day we've been here. Friday night, you had Sunday school over there in Sheafland. Brother, Brother Williams, thank you so much for being there with you all in this revival. And then Saturday night, you took him next door and had Sunday school. And then this morning, he said, man, I love it here. Parker said, I mean, they just pump Sunday school in this church. I'm glad I got a son that likes Sunday school. And if you're his teacher, you'll understand that. <laughs> He'll sit in that class and challenge you sometimes. We have to tell him, Parker, let them teach. Hallelujah. You ain't got to just sit back and enjoy it. Be poured into. Praise the Lord. So I am so thankful for everything this church offers. Thank you, Pastor Williams, for allowing me to be with you all the past two days. We've had a great move of God. It's been such an honor to be in that atmosphere and to be able to be a part of what God is doing there in Chiefland. Amen, amen. Hmm. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through nine, the Bible says, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, are you Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. The king then spoke and said, there's not yet any, is there yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. Kind of a peculiar way to introduce somebody. Yeah, he's got a son, and here's his difficulties. I'll speak on that more in a moment. And the king said unto him, well, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. That's a significant statement as well. And the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he immediately fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not. David understood the atmosphere that was before Mephibosheth. He understood the intimidation he must have felt. And the first thing he said was, fear not, 
For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread. I love this. Mm. And you're going to eat dinner at my table continually. There's going to be breakfast. There's going to be lunch. There's going to be brunch. There's going to be dinner. And if you get tired in the midnight hours, you can come on down and have a midnight snack. You're going to eat at my table continually. And he bowed himself and he said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look unto such a dead dog as I am? And the king called to Ziba as if he did not even hear Mephibosheth. He turns and he looks over at Ziba and says, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy servant's son all that pertain to Saul and to all of his house. Today, with the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach on the royalty of grace. The royalty of grace. If you would put your Bibles down and lift your hands to God and begin to pray for the Lord to speak to your mind this morning for God's word to fall on fertile ground. Hallelujah, Lord, in the name of Jesus. manifest in this house. Lord, you are so worthy of praise. You are so worthy of glory. You are so worthy of honor. God, I'm asking that you would have your way in this room right now by the power of the name of Jesus. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Why don't you clap your hands and give God a standing ovation before you're seated. Come on, he's worthy of the praise right now. He's worthy of it all. Come on, we just sung about it. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. Come on, give him your praise. Give him your voice. Give him your shout. Give him your rejoicing. Hallelujah, God, we worship you in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, and you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. As a child growing up, it was no stranger to hear a large amount of nursery rhymes. At least it was for me growing up. A lot of nursery rhymes you would sing, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, whatever, fall down. It's kind of, kind of weird if you begin to sing these songs until you begin to, unfortunately, Google the meanings of some of these songs, which will traumatize you, so I will not go through the definitions. If you venture to do this on your own, God bless you. But songs that we would sing and, or, or nursery rhymes we would read, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Old Jack fell down and broke his crown. And then Jill followed right after him when she saw the poor mistake that he made. Fell down, broke his crown, and Jill said, you know, that looks fun. And she went tumbling down after. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Here's a good one for you. rock a baby in the treetop. Why not, right? <laughs> and when the wind blows, we're going to stick him in a treetop on a windy day. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. 
When the bow breaks, let's put him on a weak branch. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come, baby. Good night, honey. Have a good night's sleep. <laughs> Poor child sits there traumatized to go to sleep. So I'm, <laughs> to God, it filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I was so, my eyes were open to nursery rhymes, hallelujah, and the revelation hit me. I said, you know what, I'm going to rewrite some of these nursery rhymes because I, I, I just don't like the way they sound. So I rewrote Jack and Jill, and this is the way I wrote it. Jack and Jill went up the hill carrying a bucket of grace. Jack fell down and sin did abound. But Jill learned something that day. That even though we walk in grace, there's a chance one of us might fall. But if one will stand and hold out his hand, he'll help the other one stand tall. Don't that sound a whole lot better? When somebody falls, you ain't got to fall with them. But if you'll stand there and hold on, if you'll reach out, come on, Jack and Jill will preach now. I felt the Holy Ghost right there. Here's a good one. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But the king found out that Humpty fell down. And an announcement he made that day, from now on, if one falls, horses and men, don't you call, because it's the king that has the power to save. Come on, somebody. They were calling on the wrong ones to fix the problem. I've got one more for you because I want you to be able to sleep good tonight. Rock-a-bye, baby, in the treetop. <laughs> When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, don't be surprised when he falls. Because you put him there, that cradle and all. When a babe in Christ fails, please don't forget that treetops are for eagles and not infants in cribs. God is so good. But I have found the majority of the time, it's us that put ourselves in a bad situation. We open the door and then we wonder, God, where have you been? <laughs> How come the devil, why do you have so much advantage when we gave the devil a place in our life? We set up a recliner for him. We gave him an ottoman. We put his favorite coffee cup laying right there beside it. And we wait on him hand and foot and we wonder how come all hell is breaking loose in our homes? How come our children have no appetite for church? How come... Come on, it's quiet, but that's all right. How come my children don't pray when I don't pray? How come my, mm, how come my marriage is struggling when I don't take time with my spouse? God, why did you forsake me? Not always the case. Sometimes we put ourselves in these situations. I'm talking this morning about the royalty of grace. Sometimes grace is misinterpreted in this day and age that we're living in. That grace seems to be a, a get-out-of-jail-free card for you to live a sloppy, agape life. And that's not the case at all. That grace is not an opportunity for you to fall and make a mistake. But grace is right there to help you along the way. Holding out his hand like Jack and Jill. Or sitting there making sure that when we do fall and we do fall apart like Humpty Dumpty. That we do understand where the king is. Even in the moment of brokenness, grace is always right there to put things back together again. How many is glad God put your life back together? 
How many wants God to put your life back together right now? Come on. I don't care how long you've been sitting on a pew or how long you've been in church. Things in your life can fall apart. What I read here a moment ago was about little Mephibosheth, which was actually King Saul's grandson. Mephibosheth would never forget the tragic day when word began to spread throughout the countryside when he heard that King Saul and Prince Jonathan had died on the battlefield and now David is the new king. This would terrorize a complete kingdom Little Mephibosheth just thought his father, just lost, excuse me, his father and his grandfather, both in one single battle against the Philistines. But in the house of Jonathan, this not only brought grief, because if Saul passed, Jonathan was to be the next king. But now that they're both gone, this brought grief in the kingdom. But also with it, it brought panic, because in that day, it was customary that if a king took the throne, that oftentimes he would go after and kill the family of the previous king in hopes to eliminate anyone from rising up and trying to take the throne back for the family. So a king would get on the throne and immediately he would call unto his soldiers and his servants and he would send them out into the cities to search out the family members of the king in hopes that maybe if there was one that was eligible to be the king, that they would take this life. And so on this particular day when Saul and Jonathan both died on the battlefield, sitting and playing on the floor was little old Mephibosheth. Oblivious to everything that had just taken place, had no idea he was at the nursery. He was being babysat by someone and a nurse was watching over him. Oblivious to it all and unaware of his father and his grandfather's death. Soon all of a sudden the door would burst open of the nursery. And the nurse would run in there and scoop up Mephibosheth into her arms. Grab him quickly because of the panic of fear that the king was going to track him down and try to kill him. Because he was next in line to the throne. She goes in and she grabs up little old Mephibosheth into her arms and she begins to head out the door and in the panic of her running out of the door, she trips, she stumbles, and she drops little Mephibosheth to the floor, crushing his ankles and crippling this young man for the rest of his life. Destined to be lame for the rest of his life, Mephibosheth believed that never would come a day that would be most impactful in his life or most horrific as to what happened the day that he lost his father, his grandfather, and his ability to walk all in one big swoop. Destined him for destitution to live as a pauper instead of a prince. Mephibosheth would soon discover that a day would come that would make a far greater impact in his life and on his future than that horrible day. Anyone in here know that no matter how bad it may get for you, no matter the horrible situation that you may be in, that God still has the power to bring something greater out of your darkest moments. Amen. 
You've got to understand that in your darkest times, God is still the light of the world. Come on, somebody. That in your lifelessness and when it seems like nothing will grow and you're in a famine and nothing will happen, God still has the power to bring life from death. Come on, somebody. The day for Mephibosheth was the day we found, was the day that Mephibosheth found the royalty of grace. See, grace is a dirty word for the devil. He doesn't like grace. He can't obtain that. It's the power behind the gospel. Not the creed, not the religion, not philosophy. It's the gospel of grace. It's the wonder of the gospel that God would reach someone like me. That God would take time and I don't mean just sit here and talk about my past and I won't go into all that. Everybody has their own past and everybody has their own mistakes. But for whatever reason that in the midst of all of my sin and all of my addictions and all of my failures and heartaches and not being raised in church and being an alcoholic and a drug addict, that God would look down into a little small city of low population in the middle of a single wide with dirty floors and look over at a drug addict sitting at a kitchen table and said, I can make a preacher out of you. I don't know your background. I don't need to know it. I don't need you to come up here and say, oh, Brother Reese, but you don't understand where I came from. It doesn't matter how low you are. God's arm can reach all the way down. And I'm excited about that. How many are excited that when you were at your lowest in your life, God had no problem rolling up his sleeves and manifesting himself in the flesh and coming down here in the world and walking amongst a world of evil and pulling you out of the miry clay. A sheep that had gone astray and he leaves the 99 looking for that one alcoholic out there walking the streets. So thankful. Pastor, I can't tell you how thankful I am that God took the time that even though I wasn't praying, God, get a hold of my life. If there's more, God, if you're out, I wish I could say I prayed prayers like that. It would preach so good that I could say there was one night I laid there and said, God, if you're real, manifest yourself to me. I wish I had prayed that. I didn't. I had no idea. I had no idea how far down I was gone. Did I know there was a God? Absolutely. I was... I had visited church. I was going to say I was religious, but I wasn't. I had visited church many times as a kid, but I didn't go and listen to anything that was said. I would go and sit on the pew and play with my cousins, and we'd play pinch me in hopes to finally get out on the playground during Sunday school time, and we'd run around and have fun and then go out to eat and hope in hopes to stop at least by McDonald's and get a Happy Meal on the way home. Praise the Lord. I had no desire I didn't even understand salvation at all from the world's standpoint until I came and God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I had no idea. Mercy and grace are different. Grace is receiving from God what I don't deserve while mercy is not receiving from God what I do deserve. Grace is God's favor that is unearned, it's undeserved, and it's unrepayable. And I thank God for that. I can never pay God back for the times he's forgiven me. The concept is the key to the entirety of the New Testament. Too often we limit it to the work of salvation in our lives. But grace is the power for our daily lives as well. 2 Timothy 2 and 1 says, Be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 4 and 10, and good stu- as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace. Grace is more than something you get access to the first time you come to God and you come down to an altar and say, God, I'm scum, I'm nobody, I'm dirt, I'm worthless. Would you please forgive me? Tears start falling down. God wraps his arms around you. You give him a fist bump. You go out into the world and you keep doing everything that you'd always done. That's not the grace that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the grace that when you walk into a service like we felt here a moment ago and you come down to an altar and you bow down your face and you can't even think of words to say to God because you know you're unworthy and you know you don't deserve anything God's got to offer and God is holy and on the throne and you somehow beat your chest like the parable of the two men, two were at the altar. One sat there and said, thank you God, I'm not like him while the other beat his chest and said, forgive me for I'm a sinner. And God, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, which one's prayers do you think God heard? The one that beat his chest and did not try to cover it up. Did not try to talk himself and give excuses as to why. I'm like this because I'm, my dad was this. Or, or I'm like this because my mama put my diaper on too tight. Or I'm an alcoholic because I hung around the wrong people. Or I'm, no, no, forgive me for I done wrong. Revelation 22 and 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Satan would have you leave the grace of God at the altar of salvation. But God's grace only starts there as we are to grow in grace every day. The devil will tell you that from that point on, you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Make it on your own strength. But grace is God's undeserved favor in our lives. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were yet unable to make a good decision. When you were in the midst of destroying your family. Come on, somebody. When you didn't know how to raise your kids. When you were destroying your own body, your own mind, your own morals. Christ died for you. How many are thankful for the grace that's here today? You're thankful it found you when you were worthless, wanted you when you were unwanted, and reached you when you were unreachable. The story I read here a moment ago, David had just subdued his greatest enemies, the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Syrians. David was a warrior. David was a king with bloody hands, but he was a friend of God. As he sat in his palace looking over all of the victories God had given him. And how good I could see David almost see him sitting on his throne. Sitting back thinking about the Philistines. Man, that was a battle. Wow, God, you really gave me the victory on that. The Moabites never saw it coming. Them Syrians, they didn't even know what took place until it was over. God, you've given me victory after victory. Boy, them enemies are falling at every hand. I am becoming king of the land, and God, you're getting all the favor. And as he sat back in his throne, in his palace, I could see him almost sitting there remembering Jonathan. Think of how close him and Jonathan were and how many times Jonathan was a strength to him as he was running from the king. David did nothing wrong. David was simply answering a call that God had reached out unto him and given him. 
David was a man of his own struggles that even when the man of God came along looking to anoint the next king, daddy didn't even remember David as he was out in the field but said, here's all my sons right here. And as the man of God goes to each one of them, checks him out up and down, begins to look at him, begins to feel after the spirit, if you will. He looks at them and he looks back at daddy and says, are these all your kids? Well, not really. I've got one little one out there, but he's busy right now. He's, he's out in the field, and he's tending to his job. And, you know, I didn't want to waste your time because he's not really all that impressive. He, he keeps himself wrapped up in music all the time. He's always out there playing his harp, talking to himself, talking to sheep. He's out there, believe it or not, he's crazy enough to fight lions and bears. Oh, my. And, and I didn't think. I thought it would just be embarrassing to have him come in here. Man of God looks at him and says, you get that boy in here, and you get him in here now. And as he walked in the door, the man of God looked and said, that's him. That's the one. David knew what it was like to be left out of a lineup of qualifications. To be the young one that nobody considered. He sat in his palace looking back over his past. And where he'd come from, a sheepfold to a throne room. From holding a shepherd's staff to a giant's head in his hand. No doubt he was taken by the wonder of God's grace on his own life. I believe he began to look for a way that he could demonstrate the grace of God to somebody. Because sometimes that happens when you're living for God. God's been good to you and if you're walking in the Holy Ghost, you just can't help yourself. You've got to go be good to somebody else. Hallelujah. You feel the need that you need to pour into somebody else. And David began to feel that grace stirring up inside of him. There's got to be somebody in the life of my past, of the favor that Jonathan had for me. I hate I lost him, but there's got to be somebody that I can show favor to. Verse 3 says, Is there anybody of the house of Saul? I don't care who it was. There's got to be somebody else living that I can show the kindness of God to. Miss Mephibosheth would become the recipient of David's act of grace. A child that had been hid the whole time. That David was unaware of. David had even probably passed him at times. And had no idea that that was Saul's grandkid. Look at that crippled young man. Look at that crippled kid right there. Oh bless his heart. And begins to move on. But there's a deeper story here. It's the story of God's grace towards us. It reveals where we can find the grace of God. You may be asking yourself this morning. Why is grace so important? The reason grace this morning is so absolutely important that it needs to go further than just finding him in an altar in any given moment. There could be someone here that needs that grace this morning. You've never repented of your sins. You've never had the honor of being baptized in Jesus' name. You've never had the privilege of having God place his spirit inside of you with the evidence of speaking in tongues just like on the day of Pentecost. You could possibly be here seeking for that. I want to let you know before you come to this altar, you don't have to access God's grace right here and leave God's grace right here. But when you come down and God feels you, you walk hand in hand with the grace of God. Oh, my goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God's mercy, God's grace, and God's goodness is always there with you, wanting to walk hand in hand with you. The reason grace is so important is that grace will find you first. 
David said, is there yet any of the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to him? The king's grace always begins in the throne room. Like Mephibosheth, before we were ever aware of the grace at all, it was already beginning to seek him out. I don't know what Mephibosheth was doing when King was having a conversation in the throne room. Is there anybody I can show favor to? Mephibosheth was probably out on the back of a playground. Somewhere. I don't know how old he was. I came, he's just a young man. He's just scraggly, not involved in nothing, sitting out there, sitting down, watching other kids play, not able to get out there and be involved due to his crippled state and having no idea that the king's grace was looking for him. God's been looking for you, sir. Ma'am, God's been seeking after you. He knows where you are. But God's been, you've been sitting there wondering how come these things are happening in my life? How come it just seems like I keep getting pulled back to the church? How come it seems like at nighttime I just can't sleep at night and the things of God are on my mind and I don't even know God that good yet? The grace of God is tugging on your heart. The grace of God is reaching for you even right now. Because while we were yet in our sins, he loved us and sought us out. God's grace will remember us. Forgotten by his nation, abandoned by his family. No reason to remember Mephibosheth. He was a nobody. But out of King's grace, David remembered this crippled man. And they were quick to remind David, and this is the part of the story that I said was going to be very significant. When he looked over at Ziba and said, is there anybody that I can show the favor of the house of Saul to? I can show favor to them. Yeah, there's a... There's a little one over here, this Jonathan's son, and well, he's a cripple. As if that would turn the sympathy of David's heart. See, they had no idea what his intentions were. Think about it. All of a sudden, David comes off a battlefield, blood on his robe, sword over there in the corner. He's wiping out enemies left and right, and all of a sudden, he starts asking about Saul's family. Oh, he's got the taste of blood on him right now. He's wanting to take out the family. And so he calls for Ziba. And Ziba, I can imagine him coming in there trembling and looking at King David. And David says, is there anybody I can show grace to? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah there, there, there is a young man. He, his name is Mephibosheth. But he, he's a cripple. He's a cripple, old king. He's, a, he's no threat to you whatsoever. He'll never get on the throne. He'll never match up to you and your power. I can imagine that's what was going through his mind. He's a cripple. Please, don't kill him. But David didn't remember him because of what he could get out of him. He was motivated by pure grace. God isn't sitting there hoping that you'll come to him because you've got a large bank account. Come on, somebody. He's not looking at you saying, man, I could use them. They've got a lot of land to offer. Come on. they got a lot of apostolic pedigree in their background. They just ain't answered the call yet. So I know I can use them. They can be people that have great influence. It ain't that. God said, I want to pour my grace into a willing vessel, and I need somebody to want it. Mephibosheth, it doesn't matter if you're crippled. It doesn't matter, sir, if you're broken. Ma'am, it doesn't matter if you've been in an abusive home, if you were raised in heartache, if you have no past to brag about. God is wanting to pour his grace on you. Come on, somebody, worship him right now. Thank him for that grace. Oh, 
David didn't remember Mephibosheth because he wanted something out of him. Bring me a young man that's got good feet on him. I need another soldier on the front of the line. No, he said, I want anybody in the family. Brother Osborne, I'm so glad <laughs> when God was looking to marry, he wasn't looking for somebody that just makes sure. I can understand the part about him wanting to make sure that he found somebody that would fit. If y'all have been to Sunday school, you'll understand what I'm about to say. Hallelujah. But when God, when he went over there and said, let the woman not only want to give me water, but want to feed my camels. Brother Osborne said, that was God saying right there, make sure you get a woman that can work. Hallelujah. <laughs> And I, I said to myself, I leaned over to my wife. I don't know if she heard me or not. I'm always cutting up. And I said, boy, you know a woman loves you when she'll feed your dogs, your camels, and everybody else. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'm so thankful that when God came along, he wasn't looking for somebody that had everything together. He wasn't looking for the perfect. He was looking for a loving relationship. Looking for a marriage that would last. David didn't remember that. He said, no, anybody. God's motivation to reach us is pure grace. God's grace will always find you first. And God's grace will go wherever you are. King David said, where is he? And here's another significant part of the story. Because Ziba was quick to, quick to say, Lodabar, he's from Lodabar, because the word Lodabar means no pasture, barren, desolate land, hiding place, destitute place. Ziba was trying to, he wasn't trying to insult Mephibosheth. He was using his past failures, hoping it would spare his life. He's a crippled boy, don't worry. And guess where his hometown is, believe it or not? Lodabar. Lodabar. You, will, you, don't, you don't want nobody from there. You don't want to go to some place that's been barren where they don't even have a good dollar general. Come on, somebody. If I drive through a city and I don't find a dollar general, I don't believe it's the will of God to start a church in that city. Hallelujah. They better at least have a waffle house, a huddle house, some kind of house with waffles in it. It bothers me enough that your Walmart's 20-something miles away. That bothers me to death. You need to work on that, Pastor. Hallelujah. I don't want one of them little rinky-dink Walmarts. I need a super Walmart up in here. I'm so glad that when Ziva said, Lodabar, David said, it doesn't matter. Because when grace finds you, it's going to find you when you have nothing to offer. That's why you need the grace. You aren't able to do it on your own. You can't make it on your own. Why don't you just ask somebody like the prodigal son, where did grace find you at, boy? Where did great grace found me when I was in the bottom of a pig's pen and I didn't even feel like my daddy loved me anymore? That I took what my dad trusted me with and I broke his trust, walked out of his home and broke the family up, went out eating in a pig's pen. Grace found me right there. But I can tell you right now, when I came to my senses and realized the servants are not even eating all this slop, I'll go back to my dad's house and I'll say, Daddy, just hire me. And I remember the moment I come walking up that driveway and Daddy understood 
Old Testament law. Stay with me now. Daddy understood what was happening. Because see, in the Old Testament, if your child dishonored you, and if there was sin and if there was wrongdoing within the family, in the law, the city could stone your child at the gates of the city. So I believe since the day that boy walked out, Daddy knew at some point he might want to come home. And I can imagine every morning he'd sit on that front porch with that cup of coffee and he'd watch out there down by that gate. And he'd sit out there with that coffee watching that gate because he knew if that boy came through that gate, the city knew who he was and what he'd done. And then people would take off after him and start stoning him to death. So the reason the Bible says daddy went running after him, fell on him, took his jacket, got a robe for him, got shoes for him, got a ring on his finger. The reason the daddy was so quick to do that was because he knew law was going to kill him right where he was. Mm. (laughs) Law should have killed us a long time ago. But grace ran to us where we were, took off his jacket, threw it over him. It said, not Coley. Not Coley, not today, not this drug addict. I've got him absolutely covered right here. I got him covered. And Jesus sat there on the whipping post and he took every bit of whipping from the whip. He took every bit of beating because he was covering us up. Oh, that excites me so much to know that when I was at my lowest, Jesus was leaning over me, taking the beating for me taking the bruises, taking the spear, taking the thorns. Because he knew law was about to kill me. Ain't gonna do it. Ain't gonna happen. Oh, thank you for grace, God. Why don't we take a moment right now? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, I want you to lift your hands. Thank him for where God found you. Thinking for where God dug you out of. Grace will always find you where you are. He'll seek you first. Find you where you are. Go to your lowest. Just ask Joseph. Hey Joseph, where did grace find you at? Oh, you won't believe it. Grace found me in the bottom of a pit when my own brothers sold me out. They wanted to kill me. But Judah took up and said, No, let's just throw him over here. Don't kill him. Pull him out. Sell him. Don't do that. Praise covered up that moment at the time of a death. Found me down in the bottom of a pit. That's where I was. Everything go good after you got pulled out of that pit. Surely Grace took care of everything. Well, Grace walked with me when I went to the auction block as a slave. And I stood up in front of a crowd as they auctioned me off. And I began to live in Potiphar's house. Where did Grace get you in? Grace bust you out of jail? No, actually Grace helped me to be top in jail when I was down there in the prison. I still got locked up, but I had favor. So everything was going good with Potiphar? Not exactly. His wife went after me and tried to kill me, lied on me and said I tried to do something I didn't. So I got thrown in jail again. Surely it got better. Well, grace never left me. Because as I was there, I interpreted a dream of Pharaoh himself. And I stood up there before Pharaoh and I interpreted that dream. And Pharaoh began to show me favor. 
And that's when grace stepped out and revealed itself and said, Joseph, the whole reason you had to go through that is because I needed you to be in this position so you could save all of your family. Grace not only wants to reach you, come on now. Grace not only wants to make a difference for you, but he's looking to reach your spouse. It's looking to reach your children. It's looking, believe it or not, to reach your in-laws and your outlaws. Hallelujah. He even wants to reach your exes. Even if they don't all live in Texas, he wants to reach them. Grace is always trying to work through you to reach somebody else. There's revival on the streets. There's revival out there in brokenness. And God loves to use his church. He needs to use his church. He's got to use his church. Why don't you ask that old Samaritan woman? We've already spoke of her. Where did Grace find you? She said, well... Grace found me at a well in the middle of the day all alone because nobody wanted to be around me with a bad reputation. Even in the midst of my fifth failed marriage, Grace came walking up to me talking. Grace offered mercy to me. Grace spoke a word to me. And I took that grace and I went back to my city of people that hated my guts and I began to pour grace into them. And I brought the whole city up to the well. And I became a soul winner of my whole city. That's where grace found me. That's where grace found me. Like David, God sends out his messengers of grace. No matter where you may be today, grace can find you there. Grace can change the course of your life. God's grace carries you. Not only will it seek you first, not only will it go where you are, grace will grab you up and grace will carry you. Mephibosheth could not help himself. He couldn't reach David if he had to. So David sent somebody to get him. Brother Reese, I just don't know if I can go out and win the world. I don't know if I can go out and do that. I don't have a pulpit ministry. I don't have a... God's not sitting there. Your calling might not be a pulpit ministry. Your calling might actually be to look at the waitress and be nice when you introduce them to church. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It's tight, but it's right. I know how that is. Hallelujah. It's when they don't give us the best service. I'm meddling right now, so y'all pray for me. Hallelujah. It's when the waitress is a horrible waitress and doesn't do good at all and is undeserving of a tip and you still look at her and give her more than she deserves. That's grace. And then you say, why don't you come over here and come to church with me? <laughs> Invite him to the house of God. I remember a pastor telling me years ago, he said, whenever you and the young people, because I was a youth pastor, said, when y'all go out and eat at a restaurant, I'm telling you right now, because I had a large youth group, had probably about 30 and uh, we'd go out, and buddy, when we walk into restaurants, oh my goodness, I just seen the sweat beating from the brow of every waitress in that building. And I tell them right off the bat, we're good people. We really are. <laughs> we don't judge us by the other churches in our city, okay? We're good people. And, and, and our young people were excellent. And my, but my pastor would tell me, say, look, when y'all go out to eat at these restaurants, you make sure you invite people to church. But if y'all go in there showing yourselves up, and you go in there acting up and you acting a fool and you ain't leaving a tip, please, please, please do not place my church card on that table. <laughs> Only time pastor told us not to witness for God. Hallelujah. said, if you're not going to be a good light, if you're not going to be a good bride, don't brag about your husband. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mephibosheth could not help himself. So David sent somebody to get him. 
God's grace is dependent upon his ability, not mine. Mm. When you can't walk any further, let grace carry you. When you can't believe anymore, let his grace carry you. When you're weak, let grace carry you. Because 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. But I just don't think I can. You're a perfect candidate. Because if you thought you could do it all on your own, God would say, next. <laughs> they're, not, they're not in hard enough times for me to help them yet. They ain't reached rock bottom. I mean rock rock, where the real rock is. That's when I know I can help them. But it's the ones that's got it all figured out that says, no, I'm good. My charisma and my personality will pull it for a while. They'll never figure me out. God says, next, what about you? I don't think I, 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 I'm like M M Moses. I have a stutter. I have a, I have a mm, perfect candidate. God said, Moses, you're hired. He said, I'm going to send you, but, I, but I'm not a good, good speaker. Excellent, because I don't care about the words you'd want to tell him anyway. I need you to repeat after me. You tell him I am that I am. Can you get that out? It might take me five minutes, but I can do it. Reminds me of the story of, and y'all probably even heard this before, the story of the old Bible salesman that was selling all the Bibles and everything, and Best Bible salesman in the community, and he went to a conference. They gave him an award, but he had a speech impediment. He's a bad stutterer, and he couldn't hardly speak at all. And so they were wondering how come he was the best Bible salesman at the, at the convention. So they brought him up at the, pool, the platform and told him to get up there and explain to him his technique. He said, well, I, I'm, 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 I'm not the be, be, best speaker at all, so, so what, what, I, what I would do is I would go, go, go to the door and tell him, I, would you like to buy a Bible, or do you want me to read it to you. <laughs> I'd buy five of them, hallelujah. <laughs> Sold, I'll take that Bible right there. See, God can use somebody. I ain't got it figured out, but I got a God that has it all figured out. I got a God that'll work it out for me. I got a God that'll work it out for you. I got a God that'll bring us through this. <laughs> Whoa, somebody worship him right now. His grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. Oh, right now, I'm telling you right now, God's grace is flowing in this room. There's people in this room that feel unworthy, you're hired. You feel broken right now, you got nothing to offer, you're hired. I've got no, I'm first generation apostolic, you're hired. I am too. I've got addictions right now and I don't even know what I'm gonna do when I get home, you're hired. If you'll make it to an altar and say, God, I can't do this, I'm gonna walk back into my addiction, I can't handle it. God said, well then hold my hand and walk in my grace every day. Pray and seek my face and find I'm not far from you. All you gotta do, I'm Closer than the mention of my name. Come on, church, right now. Come on. One last, one last point, and then we're going to pray. One last point. He said, Ziba, I want you to go find that boy, and I don't care what he's doing. You throw him over your shoulder. You, you make a makeshift wheelchair, whatever you've got, put him in a wheelbarrow. You bring him here. And he pulls him in there. And he looks at him. And Ziba, I could imagine him sitting there in his brokenness. He said, he probably had to adjust his legs a little bit as he sat there trembling, not wanting to look at King David in the face. And as he's sitting there, all of a sudden, 
me get up here so everybody can see this. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, as the king, Mephibosheth, is sitting there in the presence of the king, not wanting to look up and trembling, and he says, why do you care for such a dead dog like me? I'm crippled. I've been broken by my past. I have no pedigree. I have nothing to offer. I live in a bad city. I have nothing but brokenness in my life. And the king doesn't even acknowledge the words that came out of Ziba, uh, uh, Mephibosheth's mouth. And he looks over at Ziba and he says, for the rest of his days... I'm going to give him all of his father's lands and that he's not going to have to work in the field. I'm going to have people work for him. They're going to take care of the field. They're going to take care of his house. And for all the days of his life, he's going to sit at my table. This is very significant because it was very rare for somebody that had physical issues as somebody who had some kind of physical ailment to be able to come into the king's throne room. You are not worthy to be there. But the king said, oh, but Mephibosheth, you don't understand. I'm going to get you to pull up at my table. And when you get in that chair in the throne room and you pull up to my table, your brokenness is covered by the table. Your brokenness, you're going to look like everybody else. You're going to eat like my sons. You're going to eat like Oh, come on, somebody. You're sitting there worried about what everybody else can see. And the whole time, my grace is going to cover your brokenness. Come on, somebody. I want you to lift your hands right now. Come on, I want you to lift your hands right now. Come on, I want you to lift your voice to God right now. This altar is wide open. I'm not going to sit here and pull at your emotions. I presented the word, and I believe in God has shaken you. I see tears falling. Lives are being changed. Oh, there's grace enough in this room for everybody. God has been looking for you. God is going where you are, Mephibosheth. God will pick you up and carry you when you're unable to carry yourself. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.